Alrighty, welcome to another episode of Constructed Resources. I'm here along with Andrew Beckstrom, and uh, we're going to be talking about Kaldheim. We've actually got a, a cool show lined up for you today. BK, tell us a little about the structure of the show today. Yeah, so we're going to be drafting our top picks from Kaldheim, sort of the cards that we think are going to have the most impact on Constructed. And, you know, we're primarily going to be looking at them from the standpoint of um, sort of like standard and historic, but... Well, there'll be some focus a little bit on some of those like niche sort of sideboard effects. Obviously, a lot of times in a set in a set like the the naturalized that gets to show up in an older format, you know, sort of like the nature's claims, those sorts of things end up being some of the most impactful cards across all magic. But we want to get to like the ones which are going to really reshape what constructed magic is about. What are the cards that people are going to be building decks around and really moving and shaking the formats in the months to come? Yep. Um and uh, it should be a lot of fun, especially since I've seen BK draft before. Uh, but <laughs> before we get to that, uh, I wanted to uh, tell talk to you about our sponsor, ChannelFireball.com. And uh, one of the things we're doing over at Channel Fireball, which is pretty cool, are box breaks. So this is something that started in like the sports cards uh, industry. And how it works is you buy into a box break and uh, we have like, you know, cool folks like Mashi opening them on stream. And each person who bought who bought in gets a different color. So all cards of that color would go to a single person and same with every color. It's pretty exciting because you get to, to buy into a box for a fraction of the price of the box itself. And uh, I don't know, Magic players lo- love opening packs and uh, you get to kind of see see what gets opened. You, those cards get shipped to you, of course, immediately. And sometimes you spike something really cool. So if you go to channelfireball.com slash box breaks, you can uh, check it out. And uh, those have been a, a fun thing. They started those, uh, and those go live every Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at 3 o'clock Pacific uh, in the afternoon. So before we get to decks of the week, uh, do we do we want to skip over what happened this weekend, Luis? How, what happened how do we this weekend? Talk about it? Oh, oh, right. That was uh, <laughs> me getting massacred with Jun Sacrifice. The, it makes me feel better about my deck choice that John Sacrifice was unquestionably the deck of the weekend. It just had by far the highest win percentage. Uh, wasn't Gruel like basically the same win? Gruel was a little bit, a little bit lower. Um, okay. But, uh, and, and this was just looking at MPL and rivals play, but uh, Solta was certainly not. Solta was sub 50% win percentage. So, you, <laughs> but <laughs> I went one in six against Solta, which by the accounts of all the people playing in the events I was playing in, it was like a 70% matchup for John. So, it, that was rough. I uh, I went four and seven on the weekend, dropped down to fourth place. So not not feeling great about that. But uh, I guess you you have some of those weekends, and that certainly was my time. I guess it was funny when I was looking at the deck list when they rolled in last week. I was looking at the Sultai list, and it was like that meme where you've got the fortune teller looking at the crystal ball, and she's like, "I see doom whispers." Jesus, that's a lot of doom whispers. Yeah, <laughs> and that was kind of my impression. And just looking at the decks, so it was like so many like three main deck copies of Doom Whispers and these Sultai lists as they were trying to get better in the mirror. Yeah, the Sultai lists were pretty metagame for the mirror. Part of why I didn't want to play Sultai was I didn't think it was right to metagame that much for the mirror, but I, I would really also not enjoy playing against people. Like, I played well and lost to <laughs> multiple people who had like a bunch of main deck Narsets and Shark Typhoons and stuff like that. And that's the kind of stuff I love to pull, don't get me wrong, but... Uh, it was certainly unfortunate to lose to lose to that, given that uh, that all that all of those changes hurt you in the Jun matchup. So, all right. So you've got what two more of these league weekends? No, we've got we've got three more, I think. Oh, three more! Wow. Okay. No, so. actually, actually, it's four more. <laughs> so oh, wow. there's four more. Yeah, there, there's too many rounds. Like I, I've already given this feedback. Like I think the whole thing is cool, but seven weekends of it is too much. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, like I have plenty of time left to make up uh, for this weekend, but <laughs> you know, still, still, you still would rather not go four seven on any given weekend. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, it was more wins than I had this weekend. I'm gonna, I'll give a quick PSA. Um, and some <laughs> of our listeners might be familiar with what happened to me, but I was gonna play in the qualifier weekend on Arena, <laughs> and uh, and I didn't, I didn't uh, register in time, so. Uh, if you ever get make sort of tw- top 1200 mythic and get to play in one of these qualifier weekends, uh, you do get sort of all day on Saturday to play your games, but you do need to actually hit. There's like a two hour check in window from six to eight, six to eight a.m. Pacific. 
And I was just, I woke up and logged on at, I think, 8.05 Pacific time. And it was like, and you just can't sign up for it at that point. And so, unfortunately, I didn't get to play. But, uh, you know, these, these these things happen. We've all made deck list registration errors, things of like that. You shake it off and you move on. Not much you can do. But uh, just wanted to make sure everyone knows about that. Because uh, it turns out when I tweeted it out, uh, what happened to me, I was not the only one. So make sure if you're ever playing in one of these arena events that you qualify for, you don't miss the two-hour check-in window. Yeah, you know what they say, constructed resources. They're not sending their best or their brightest. So <laughs> it's just, We're in 2021, and this is the, I believe as of this past Wednesday, we're moving on from those jokes. <laughs> All right, well, fair enough. Uh, let's get to some decks of the week here, BK. Uh, yeah, so for decks of the week, um, instead of playing, because I wasn't playing in the qualifier weekend, I played in the Modern Showcase Challenge on Magic Online, and you know, I sort of was using all those vintage cube uh, trophies and the QPs I accrued to play in it. And I played uh, I played Sam Party's uh, White Weenie deck. It's But I wanted the deck I actually wanted to talk about was a deck that I lost to twice that was the first time I played against a competitive setting. And this was the Hammer Time deck. And if you're not familiar with this, this is sort of the spiritual successor to Affinity in a lot of regards. You know, there must always be an Ornithopter deck, it seems, feels like, in the modern format. And right now, it's one that's trying to combine colossus hammer that's that one cost plus 10 plus 10 equipment with two different kinds of effects that can cheat its attachability so sigarda's aid and pure steel paladin both allow you to essentially equip the hammer for free and you're trying to do this real fast you've got memnites ornithopters to put it on to you have ink mob nexus in your deck the dope thing about that is that it's an infect creature so if you get the hammer onto it that's just a one-shot kill and I was just pretty impressed. It's got Steel Shaper's Gift as, and Stoneforge Mystic as a way to tutor up the hammer. Um, the real weakness of the deck is just that it doesn't actually have that many ways. It's only got sort of those first eight cards to cheat the hammer onto something. Now you can go and get something like a cranial plating and play a very poor affinity game. Um, but really, but, other, but otherwise, um, you're just trying to sort of turbo people out of the game, but it's got a nice little disruptive package with Thoughtseize and then additional black sideboard cards. And uh, it beat me up two, twice in a row, and uh, I, I was pretty impressed by it. So it's definitely something to check out if you like playing sort of sort of aggro combo-ish style strategies. It it, it reminds me of Infect, uh, Affinity. So if those are kinds of decks that you enjoyed playing in the past and Modern or are looking to give the format out a try right now, I uh, definitely recommend checking out the Hammer Time deck. Yeah, it's funny because the deck looks like a total meme, but it's actually pretty good. I, I I wrote a deck guide on it and and looking at the deck and like what it can do, it's pretty impressive how often it can just put your opponent in a position to to die very quickly, despite it looking like a joke. <laughs> you use Sigarda's aid to equip a Colossus Hammer. It's like, yeah, you know, that is the plan. <laughs> Yeah, and Sigarda's Aid is 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 nice in that it sort of gives the equipment flash, and so you can do really tricky things with that. The the and it's hard to disrupt. Pure Steel Paladin is the really impressive one. The best way to use Pure Steel Paladin is you sort of play it after the hammer's down. That way, you immediately get that free equip zero, and now your opponent's put in this horrible squeeze. And I was in this horrible squeeze with a Path to Exile multiple times, where they need to kill the thing that the ten ten hammer is on. But if they don't, the Pure Steel Paladin is still there in all likelihood to give it a quip zero a second time. And so it very quickly presents a board state where one removal spell is not enough to break up this sort of cheesy combo. And I think that's what gives the deck a lot of legs for being a deck that more or less needs to mulligan to one of these eight sort of combo pieces to combine with the, the, the hammer that you have a little bit more ability to tutor up. Yeah, the next deck uh, is is Team Ramp, which is a funny name. Tell us about the name here. <laughs> I mean, I, it was I was complaining. This is Ken Yukihiro's deck from the MPL Rivals League weekend play, and I was complaining um, to to my roommates. I was like, "Why did they call this Team Ramp?" And then we were talking about like we didn't really have a better name. That's because this deck is a real smattering of a bunch of different kinds of teamer effects that all like putting extra lands into play. And getting busy. And so you start off with just like some gruel spell breakers and brush fire elementals, and you're like, sure, sure. And then you put it, add in some growth spirals, and you're like, okay, I mean, I guess I see how that works with brush fire elemental well. And then next thing you know, you're following those up with Nissa who shakes the world. And yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, Nissa who shakes the world makes a lot of three threes that can just attacking. Then you're coming over the top with a perforous intervention, a primal might, a hydroid crisis or two, and it, just a wild hodgepodge of cards in one deck that 
really, I think if we, if I showed Luis or really any of the magic playing friends that I know and have tested with in the past and said, who in rivals or MPL do you think brought this deck? I think I would have gotten a pretty high hit rate for people guessing Ken Yukihiro. Oh yeah. This deck is definitely something. I have no idea how good it is, but it is funny <laughs> that it can go Llanowar Elves into Gruul Spellbreaker, Brushfire Elemental plus Growth Spiral, and you're, you're really beating your opponent down. And then they, they Wrath, and you're like, all right, well, Nissa into Hydroid Crisis into Uro, time to gas back up. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, it's it's funny because one thing that Ken didn't really do is his sideboard is just kind of normal. And I, the one thing that would always terrifies me about when you play against a brew like this is like, you just have no idea which parts of their deck they're citing it at any given time. Um, but so it, I, I can't personally vouch for this deck, but if you're just looking to just make your opponent's head spin where they just go like, yeah, yeah, sure. This is a gruel aggro. Yeah. Yeah. This is a Simic ramp deck. Uh, you, you could, you're definitely going to do that if you bring this team a ramp deck. Oh yeah. And uh, it, I do, th- I do like th- when these decks have a sideboard that does let them be a little more transformational, like have, half the cards in, half the cards out. But this, you can, can still do that. You can still have Negates and Shark Typhoons in, take out the Brush Fires and the, like, Spellbreakers, or have those in plus Scavenging Uses and, like, Ether Gusts or Braids and then be more of a beatdown plan. Yeah, I, I guess the thing that he doesn't have that sometimes you'll see from a deck like this is the ability to take out some of the top end and bring in additional aggressive elements. It's most yeah. This deck is mostly just going bigger with more answers and, like, Shark Typhoons in the sideboard, that sort of thing. All right. So those, those are some decks of the week and uh, let's get to a draft. I'll, I'll, I'll even give you first pick. What's your first pick? Pick one, pack one from a uh, called here. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to start off with a pretty safe pick. You know, I, I don't want to train wreck my whole draft by just taking something crazy. And I'm going to go with doom scar. And this is the new wrath of God effect. Three white, white sorcery, destroy all creatures. And we've seen that all before. The big thing going on with this card is it's got foretell for one white, white. And so that means that on turn two, you can foretell this card. And that means as early as turn three now, blue, white control decks, ores off control decks, no matter what combination, if it involves white, you're going to be able to completely route the board on turn three. And that's just such a game changer for decks who love to be able to plan around, oh, I'm going to protect on turn four from the wrath with this sort of effect. Turn three is a whole different ballgame for how early a wrath could occur. Yeah, this this wrath lets you. It takes the slot of a normal like traditional wrath, which costs you know four or five mana, and and can blow everything up, but also gets to play as an anger of the gods, which you know it lets you play it on turn three against a really fast draw, which gives it a lot of flexibility, and also it, it opens the door the the whole foretold part where you get to play this for three on turn six, and then also play a three drop creature perhaps. And end up end up getting on board before your opponent does, despite ha- sweeping the board in that same turn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, a three drop creature is one way to do it, but I think we both know that there's going to be a lot of holding up a three mana counter spell <laughs> with this card. I mean, even just a curve like you know, you you do a little bit of foretelling in the first couple of turns. There's literally a three mana counter spell in the set that its foretell cost is only one in a blue. Once we get to like turn five, you can be as early on in the game as wrathing and having up a hard counter spell. And there, there's just going to be a lot going on in this format where people are going to, the investment that they make in the first couple turns of foretell is going to allow them to have absolutely disgusting turns in the mid game. Yeah, I have this as the, the second best wrath of all time. Uh, after Supreme Verdict, though the only thing that maybe bumps it down more is if depending on how you count Toxic Deluge, because I think Toxic Deluge is a better card than either of those two things. But regardless, uh, I think that Doomscar is competitive with every other white sweeper that's been made, and that's 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 a real big statement. Yeah, and I definitely anticipate seeing it in lots of different formats going back through Magic's history, just because, I mean, one, you know, it, it turns out that five mana broken up into two installments is just a lot less than five. And we've just seen that a lot throughout Magic's history, whether it was something like, remember Thraben Inspector was sort of one of the classic examples of this, where it, it seemed like, oh, this is kind of an expensive land, uh, Elvish Visionary, but it just turned out that being able to sort of like get, do one part of it up front and then get the other part of it exactly when you want later for a relatively small amount of mana still was just so flexible and nice that it made more than made up for the fact that you were spending more total mana in the aggregate. In just a lot of formats, you just end up wasting some mana and 
cards that allow you to sort of do things in chunks over time just give you so much more flexibility. Yeah, and they even do things like you get to Doomscar if you never draw your fourth land. Like, sure, you, <laughs> yeah. you don't want that to be the scenario, but there's a very big difference between getting to cast it and not. And Foretell does let you cast more expensive cards than you would be able to otherwise. All right. Well, we don't want to just turn this into a ranking show, but I, I, I want to know. I just got to know. If you had gotten the first pick, would you have taken Doomscar? I think so. Doomscar is, is I think, the front runner for, for the best card in the set. Uh, but my second pick, I think, is pretty good, too. I'm actually going to go with Goldspan Dragon. Uh, so this is the uh, the the dragon that uh, is four and a red for a uh, for a five five or sorry three red red for a five or four four flying haste so five mana four four flying haste when it attacks or becomes the target of a spell you make a treasure token and treasures you control can sack to add two mana instead of one though normally treasures uh, sack for one goldspan dragon is another one that actually works really nicely with uh saw it coming the counter spell if you if you foretell saw it coming and then you go goldspan dragon attack make a two mana treasure on turn five you you get to play your four four and still have a, a counter spell up it also works nicely with any effects that target it and i could even see decks playing cards like frostbrite right that's the the instant that deals two damage to a creature or planeswalker three if you control some snow permanence if you want, it turns it turns frostbite into a rite of flame, into a ritual that makes two mana. You you might end up wanting to do that. Plus, it's just a big haste creature that can threaten planeswalkers against decks that can't kill it right away. It, like play playing. Imagine playing this against like a mono green deck where you get to play this hit, make your treasure, and then play an interactive card afterwards. I, I, I think there's a lot of potential here. Yeah, I mean. This dragon to me really, it sort of it eclipses uh, what we've seen from other dragons that are like four four hasters for five. It, just in terms of the raw sort of resources that it is leaving you behind, sort of you should be able to re- relatively reliably get the treasure in most games. You should try to build your deck in such a way where you don't need to run it into a into a opponent with a lot of mana. But even if they do, you still have a decent chance of being able to get a treasure out of it. Now, one of the funny things about this card, and it's probably not the most powerful aspect of it, is that it doesn't care whether it was the opponent's spell or your spell. Now, typically, we're not going around targeting our five mana four four dragons a lot, but if there's you know some sort of removal effect that you can play where you end up targeting multiple permanents, targeting your creature and their creature, um, you know, fight effects in a gruel deck is a great example of this. You have the ability to generate a huge amount of mana off this card because you're just getting paid off in multiples, uh, really, as long as you have this dragon out. Yeah, I think Goldspan Dragon uh, has what it takes to, to make, show up and construct it. What, what do you have next? Oh, I was I thought we could. I was going to be a gentleman and, and do it snake draft style. Oh, okay, well, in that case, I, I'm going to snap off uh, Binding the Old Gods. Uh, I, I really like what this card does. So this is a saga. It's two green-black. Uh, chapter one is destroy target non-land permanent opponent control. So any creature, any planeswalker, artifact kills. You kill great henges, kills, you know, whatever creature they have out, kills whatever planeswalker they have out. Chapter two is search your library for a forest card. Put on the battlefield tapped and shuffle your deck. Note that it's forest card, not basic forest. So you can go get a triome and that, or, or a snow duel. That's all. That, those are both very powerful effects, and then the, the third, the third chapter is kind of a bust. It's creatures you control gain death touch until end of turn. Not, not really into anticipating big things out of that, but four mana to kill their best non-land permanent and put a land into play on your next upkeep is or next main phase is really strong. I, I think biting the old gods is the kind of card that ramp slash control decks are definitely looking for. Yeah, it's funny. This card is pretty similar to a War of the Spark card, Death Sprout, that didn't see a ton of standard play when it was legal, and that was just kill a creature and you could put a uh, you could rampant growth. Um, but this one has quite a bit of additional upside. So first of all, um, while you do get the forest a little bit later, one of the big things to note is that you can get triumphs with this. It doesn't say basic forest, so. Triumphs and Snow Duels, which have the forest subtype, uh, you can get off this. And it kills non-land permanents, like you mentioned. We're talking Planeswalkers enchantments. And then I think the biggest aspect of this card that's going to make it huge and standard is, and in historic, is it's just a permanent with an ETB trigger. And uh, Teferi Time Raveler, Yorian, these are cards which absolutely love being able to abuse those sorts of 
enter the battlefield style abilities. Yeah, this 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 could work work out quite nicely with uh, yeah with Yorian in, in particular. All right, I I, I picked my two. What what, do you, what is your uh, next pick? So my next pick, I'm going to go with Old Growth Troll, mm, and okay. this is this is an amazing green beatdown creature. But it's going to slot quite nicely into a variety of green strategies. And this is GGG for a four four creature troll warrior with trample. And when Old Growth Troll dies, if it was a creature, returns to the battlefield. If it's an aura enchant, it's an aura enchantment with enchant forest you control, and enchanted forest has add green green and one tap and sacrifice this land, create a tapped four four green troll warrior creature token with trample. So we've seen slightly better stat lines, but not much better stat lines for three mana creatures. Obviously, Love Struck Beast is one right now. Still have champion in the past. The big thing that this one has going for it is that it is a real mess of a card to deal with. If they if they don't have exile removal, and that's always a tough ask, and that's always something you could potentially overload their need for, well, then you're going to be able to get a sort of a rampant growth style effect out of this with upside. Anytime you're making a land which taps for two mana, there's always some potential for abuse there. And then the fact that you can just later on in the game convert it back into another 4-4 four, four, means that no matter what style of game you're playing, if you're playing a mid-range matchup where you need to be going bigger and be casting your the Great Henges or casting Feasting Troll Kings or hard-casting Beanstalk Giants, all those sorts of things which sometimes take a ton of mana, Old Growth Troll is going to do a great job at helping you out in those, in those games when it can trade off. But then if you end up playing against something with like Doomscar in it, well, then you're just going to be able to immediately bring it back. And one of the nice things about it is that in longer games... You can put this art into play onto an untapped land, and if you have some mana up, you can just immediately bring it back and sacrifice the land at the end step. So against a lot of sorcery speed removal, you're just going to immediately be able to have a 4-4 continuing to apply pressure. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of Old Growth Troll and the sort of options it's going to create for those green decks that are sort of in that... You know, I, I, the questing beast, love struck beast style decks where maybe you've got the great henge, maybe you've got some bigger things going on, but you sure as hell can get moving and attacking early on too. Yeah, old growth trolls, a lot of action out of one card. If it was just a three mana four four trample that dies into a, effectively an extra forest, that would already be pretty good because something like the mono green aggro deck or or even the like bigger mono green food deck would still want this as a threat that dies into a land, kind of like a, a bigger Solemn Simulacrum. But, but the fact that it dies also into a creature, re- depending on what you want at that point in the game, is really powerful. I think the the, the sequence that you talked about where the aggro deck gets to keep two, two mana up, that's all you need. Once they have two mana untapped, any Wrath lets you just immediately replay this at the end of their turn by sacking the land. That you end up in a spot where you're like, all right, well, I've got the wrath, but I'm still going to die to their old growth troll, or maybe they have two of them in play. And yeah, I think old growth troll is giving a lot of legs to a kind of mono green style deck. Triple green's a lot, so it's probably tough to try to play this in a two color deck. But I think mono green's going to love this card. Yeah, and in, in his story, it doesn't really play well with pathways in standard as far as sort of like two mana style fixing but in historic there's a little bit more flexibility a little bit more uh untapped green x mana so you certainly have some capability there um just throwing it out there this is a three mana creature we can be playing this in the collected company deck (laughs) yeah all right so my next pick is i'm gonna go for asika's chariot i'm just gonna stay green on this for this round of picks and Asika's Chariot is one of the most exciting vehicles we've seen since the original printing in Kaladesh, and it's a four-mana legendary artifact vehicle. When it enters the battlefield, you get two green cat creature tokens. It has crew four, and it's a four-four. And when it attacks, you create a token that's a copy of target token you control. So just on the surface, we're sort of getting a four-four worth of stats over two bodies and a vehicle in play that these bodies can crew. The attack trigger allows us to copy the cats just themselves. So this is a card that if you just uninterrupted is just sort of going to be 4-4 that attacks. Even if you block and trade it down or kill it with removal, they're still up. If it pulls off the attack, they at least make a cat. But then we're not even getting to the sort of the scenarios where this card survives sort of wrath effects because the cats get swept away, but the vehicle does not. 
And if you can start making tokens of sort of other kinds of permanents, other creatures, you could potentially get a lot more than a green cat token out of each attack. Mythos of Aluna is a card that's in standard right now. And that just makes a copy of target permanent that you control or not. You don't even have to control it for that one. And so this one that just get, opens up the possibility of you might just be able to create copies of expensive planeswalkers. Mythos of Aluna could potentially make a scenario where your opponent plays something ridiculously strong and big, like, and then on your turn, you Mythos of Aluna at it, fire up your Asika's Chariot attack, and now you've immediately made two copies. Yeah, and I think a lot of the time you're going to play the Chariot, they're going to deal with the cats, but then you just have this Chariot in play, and if you have Mythos of Aluna in your deck, like you mentioned, it's this huge threat that could pop off at any time, and if your opponent doesn't play something good, well, you, you could to copy it. Also works nicely with uh, the token from Old Growth Troll. You know, you, you end up with copying a 4-4 Trampler instead of copying a 2-2. Yeah, this card seems like it's the real deal. Yep, I'm excited for it. Green's getting some sweet new ones. And one of the things that I really like about some of these green cards that we talked about so far, the ones that I picked, is that they're not just like, guess what? On turn six, you're going to have 10 mana and go 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 crazy. It's you, you gotta they, they do a lot of things and they're quite resilient and they give you a lot of stuff to work with, but it's not necessarily going to be I go off and cast an explosion for 10 kind of magic that we've seen from things like Wilderness Reclamation and Nissa in the past couple of years. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm going to go a little a little smaller for my next pick. I'm going to go with Frostbite. So Frostbite's a, a, instant, a snow instant for just one red mana, deals two damage to a creature or planeswalker, but if you control three or more snow permanents, it deals three damage instead. This reminds me of a Fiery Impulse, and of course it's a you know, but a pale imitation of Lightning Bolt. But still, one mana to deal three to a creature or Planeswalker at instant speed. This is this is a great deal for control decks, and it's not a huge cost to play, to replace all your basics with Snow Basics and maybe play another couple Snowlands on top of that. But you don't even necessarily need to because if this deals two some of the time and three some of the time, I still think it's a pretty good card. Yeah, this is a really efficient answer um, for just Snow decks. And, you know, even though this is... this. A lot of times we see snow decks, they end up sort of being bigger style decks where, you know, they're trying to key off of having lots of snow permanents in play. Uh, very often snow decks emerge as being five colors or the ability to splash additional colors. And in that sort of scenario, Frostbite is going to be a fantastic card to splash because for just one single mana off color, you're getting a really efficient removal spell against aggro decks. And like you mentioned, it does have Planeswalkers too. So every once in a while you get to finish off a Planeswalker. Yeah, I, I, I like the idea of Frostbite in a kind of one of these controlling decks. And it seems like that they did a pretty good job with Snowlands because besides the basics, there's, you know, that cycle of uh, dual lands, which count as the basic land types, uh, as well as having snow. And then uh, some lands like Faceless Haven, which is the the, the snow land that can turn into a 4-3. Like, that, that's a pretty strong Mutavolt. It's the the snow Mutavolt is, is no joke. Um, I think for my next pick... Suppose I kind of I I I I'm I'm a pretty big fan of uh, Blood on the Snow. I seem it seems like this this card ha- has a bit of potential. So uh, Blood on the Snow is a four black black sorcery, a snow sorcery, and it says choose one, uh, destroy all creatures or destroy all planeswalkers. Then return a creature or planeswalker with converted mana cost X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, where X is the amount of snow mana spent to cast this. So this brings back uh, a six drop or less depending on how much how much you have, but a wrath that immediately puts something good into place seems strong to me, especially since there's cards like solemn simulacrum can ramp towards this while getting a snow basic. Uh, you've got planeswalkers like Teferi, which, you know, let master of time, which lets you, you know, get some looting action going and then you play this and immediately get something back. And, I think in a in a blue black deck, for example, that has a bunch of good snow payoffs and has a decent amount of creatures and planeswalkers, this could end up being a really strong effect. It's like kind of if you think about it, it's like a kind of like a black gear hulk, except it kills all creatures and then puts something big into play, which is is a powerful swing. Yeah, I mean, I, it makes sense that it got drafted. The six mana wrath got drafted a little bit later than the three mana one, but yeah, this one <laughs> seems like it's got some upside. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the, the, there are also some some good creatures to combine with it, uh, like Burning Rune Demon, the the mythic six mana six six flyer that lets you cast a like mini gifts on given. Like th- that's a cool card to get back with Blood on the Snow. 
<laughs> that that one's a sweet one. Yeah, if you, if you haven't seen that one, that's one where you search up. It's a six mana six six ETB. You search up two cards, and then your opponent's going to choose which one of them goes to the graveyard and one of them goes to your hand. So the ability to sort of put your opponent in that squeeze and a, a common play pattern with those sorts of cards is always you get you, one of your cards is sort of picking it has the ability to pick up the other. So it's sort of like deterministic that you know what I'll always get back the other thing. All right, I, I I I picked a pair of snow removal spells. What do, what do you got for me? <laughs> yeah, I, I I noticed. All right, well, I'm going to stick to the theme of taking some foretell, some of the best foretell cards from the set, and I'm just going to go with saw it coming. And this is the one blue blue for counter target spell, and has foretell for one and a blue. And what I really like about this card is how well it pairs with additional foretell effects. And what I mean by that is. Foretell is this, if you want to be playing with a counter sort of control game in standard, there's a lot of really powerful effects that uh, are going to want you to use your mana at sorcery speed. All of the Foretell cards, for instance, when you play Doomscar, that is not flexible with counter spells unless you have a Cosmos the Charger in play. But what Saw Coming does is it gives you a lot, it gives you a very cheap counter spell that you could sort of always have in your reserves. So when you have something like four mana, you can still foretell a card, and if you earlier foretold this saw it coming, now you still have a hard counter up. And I think it's just going to pair very nicely. And the, the great thing about it is that even if you don't buy into the foretell ability, Cancel is an eminently playable magic card. It's not the best. We tend to expect some kind of upside. But I think the upside of being able to have sort of in reserve a one and a blue counter target spell is just such a strong thing to have up your sleeve as we get into the mid to late game. I can only imagine how much harder it's going to be to play any sort of control mirror where one player has this and one doesn't. When a, one control player is making investments that's giving themselves very cheap ability to do multiple things in a turn, protect a key spell, and the other one isn't, that player is going to lose every time, the one who's just sitting around waiting for something to happen. Yeah, Fortel does really give you the ability to increment incrementally spend your mana without really exposing yourself to anything. And, and uh, yeah, I think this play pattern you're describing, I mean, I can imagine it, right? Like, you're playing against, like, rogues, they leave their mana up. You're like, all right, foretell something, go. And it just puts the onus on them to act first. And in general, when you're playing against, you know, in the control mirror, the person who acts first tends to be in the worst position when all is said and done. Uh, for my next pick, I'm going to go with Rally the Ranks. This is one and a white for an enchantment. As Rally the Ranks enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Creatures you control of the chosen type get plus one, plus one. And this is one of the cheapest um, sort of glorious anthem effects we've seen in quite a while. It does have the restriction that you really need to build a white tribal deck around it. But there's plenty of options that you could potentially go in standard. We're going to have angels coming up. Uh, Knights and has been a tribe that has shown up both in standard a bunch and in historic. And so I'm expecting big things from Rally the Ranks, in particular uh, with tribes that can play a lot of cheap tokens because the, the nice thing about Rally the Ranks is sort of how well it's going to work in tribal decks that are that want to play against Wrath of God effects, Sweeper effects. It's a very efficient Lord. It doesn't give you a ton of upside if it survives, but if you can get a bunch of creatures down by maybe making multiples with a token-making effect, Rally the Ranks will prop them all up very cheaply. They get swept away. You play another token making one and your Lord effect is still on the battlefield in the form of rally the ranks. Rally the ranks is, is, is a kind of, is a kind of boring pick though. So I, I understand why, why you would take it. it I, I don't know, know how many people look at this card and get like excited, even though I do think it, it has some good applications. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. I mean, I don't want to, this card might end up making the cut for me. It's a way less exciting um, sort of anthem effect than Resplendent Marshall, for instance. But I, I'm going to go with Old Reliable, be the cheaper one and the more boring one. All right. I, I'm going to continue the snow theme. I'm drafting a snow deck here. So uh, I'm going to go with a Graven Lore. So this is the, the big blue snow instant. It's a three blue blue. And uh, it's an instant. And it says... Uh, Scry X, or it's a snow instant. Scry X, or X is the amount of snow spent to cast the spell, then draw three cards. So, you know, the, the, the peak here is five mana, scry five, and then draw three. But even in the, in the case where it's scry like two to four, 
I think it's going to be solid. And you don't even have to have any snow for this card to draw you three cards. It still does draw you three. I, I can just imagine a, a nice blue-black snow deck using Graven Lore to essentially tutor end of turn for whatever it is they're missing, whether that's Blood on the Snow, Icebreaker Kraken, you know, any of these big hits, or just two cheap removal spells, that sort of thing. Luis, I think you've gotten suckered into snow. Uh, I, it's, it's, I, I like the other blue card draw spell a bit more. I got to be honest with you. Oh, uh, behold the the multiverse. <laughs> yeah, was that it's really its name? The three in a blue instant scry two draw two with foretell one in a blue. Oh, it is behold the multiverse. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's all right. Fair enough. Yeah, I just. I just always, whenever I'm talking about it with like Sam and Matt here, we always just refer to things by the name of what the design is. And so this is the Fortel Glimmer of Genius. <laughs> yeah, the Fortel Glimmer of Genius is probably going to end up being better. But I, I like the idea of Graven Lore as like a, a heavy hitting card draw spell. Yeah. I, the, Luis, I got a question for you. What do you think is the most you're ever going to get to scry with Graven Lore? Five. Oh, I think you'll do a seven at some point. Oh, if there's like sphere of resistance effects in play or something? So if there's an Elspeth Conqueror's death around on chapter two, it's going to make your Graven Lore cost seven to cast. And then you, if you spend seven snow mana, you just get to scry seven. All right. I guess Redain God of Justice also does the same thing. So sure. Yeah, I guess I could. I, I guess a seven mana Graven Lore is in my future. And you know what? I'm going to finish things off on the snow theme because I actually I actually built this blue black deck for CFB a couple days ago, and I, I still think it's going to be sweet. Uh, it's a Icebreaker Kraken. So this is 10 blue blue for an 8-8 snow creature kraken. This spell costs one less for each snow land you control. When it enters the battlefield, artifacts and creatures target opponent controls don't untap during their next untap step. And you can return three snow lands you control to your hand to return this to your hand. What do you think about that? Icebreaker Kraken, just you're, you're soloming, uh, you know, you play a solemn thing, you chump with it, blood on the snow, you get it back. All of a sudden you have nine snow basics and this just costs three mana. Oh, and also any snow land. So it could even be the Faceless Havens and the Ice Tunnels, the Blue-Black Snow Duel, that sort of thing. The, the thing is, is like the, the, the problem that I have with snow from what I've seen is that it doesn't look free to play with snow lands. Like the Triumphs are really strong lands. The Pathways are really good. And it doesn't, it looks like it's, to me, it looks like it's going to be hard for you to free roll just having like all of your lands be snow in the way that the, some of these cards will pay you off. Like I think to me, I, I think I'm a little bit more excited by the ones that are, if you have like a, a couple of snow mana, you get to play this slightly better card than you would otherwise. Yeah. You, you're right that it's not free. You're, you're in fact getting paid to do it because uh faceless Haven is such a strong creature land that you're, you're basically getting a huge advantage by getting to play. snow. <laughs> yeah. So I, it, are you drafting Faceless Haven, or are you leaving that one for me? No, I'll I leave guess. that one on the table. I think I'll table that one based on based on how the rest of this draft has gone. Yeah, you you are definitely drafted in a style in this in this draft that is not that is not so uh, different from your style of drafting normally, which is you're going to try to draft the busted deck where you sort of get all of the payoffs for sort of one thing, and in this case, it's snow. And if snow turns out to be uh, sort of a mechanic and standard like energy or adventures then I think your deck can end up uh, the deck that you're drafting here is going to end up pretty great. And if not, well, you know, well, maybe you've got a couple something together. <laughs> uh, all right. What else you got for me then? All right. Uh, I'm going to follow this up with Valky God of Lies. Um, and th this is one that I might be getting a little bit suckered on, but the, the upside of this card being so fantastic against Uro is just too much for me to turn down. And in particular, I really, really like this card with Goldspan Dragon. Um, and I'm so interested in the idea of being able to play a black-red deck with both of those cards where Goldspan Dragon is giving me sort of the extra mana to be able to cast Tybalt Cosmic Imposter. As long as there aren't too many creatureless control decks, and even if there are, you still have the seven-mana Planeswalker you potentially play. Valky God of Lies looks like it's going to just offer you so much. The ability to disrupt the curve is so phenomenal whenever you get to play with these sort of like mesmeric fiend style creatures. But this one just offers you so much more upside. Anytime your opponent sort of feels like they are compelled to answer your two drop immediately before you get fantastic value from it, that's a really great spot to be. 
And I think it's oftentimes an underrated one because you tend not to feel the pain that your opponent is when they're in those spots. I remember when I first started playing Magic at a competitive level and I was playing with Mono Blue Devotion, Judges Familiar was a card that I just underrated. And that's a, the like the old Mausoleum Wanderer style. You could sack it to make them pay one, one more for their instant or sorcery unless it's countered because I would so rarely sacrifice it. But what I wasn't experiencing was how often my opponent was having to make plays off curve. They weren't going to getting to develop their game plan in the way they wanted to. And Balky God of Lies, with its ability to turn himself into the creature that they exiled, is going to make it so much better than other two drops in the format against something like Bone Crusher Giant, where once they sort of let you steal their Bone Crusher Giant for a second, it's immediately now a 4-3 that if they even remove it, they're now taking damage to do so. And so I just love all the flexibility it has. I think in general, if you're going to be playing with Valky, God of Lies, you need to be mostly counting on the two-drop side. But if you have cards like Goldspan Dragon, some additional ramp rituals, Tibble Cosmic Imposter is going to become a very real reality for you. Yeah. I, I, do you think anyone's going to ever play this without having access to red mana? Or that's just crazy, right? Um... I think you will see it some like I, I think there, I mean, one of the easy ways to do that in standard right now in particular is the triumphs. So mm. that's a pretty nice way. If you're playing a black white deck, you just get to play with Savoy Triumph. And I guess that is the uh, yeah, that would be there's only oh, there's also Zagoth Triumph. So in 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 Demir. Oh, no, no, sorry. Zagoth Triumph doesn't help you. So I guess it's just if you are black white specifically, you can free roll Splash the Void Triumph. But there might be some other ways that you, if you have a little bit of treasure making that you might be able to gain access to Valky in longer games. Hmm. Yeah, surprisingly good point. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then I think what, what number pick was that for me? I, sh- I don't know. If, let's see. You, you, you've got another one here. I got another one. Okay. All right, let me consult my my draft guide. I mean, as consult any good drafter, I always bring my notes and consult them. Yeah. Um, all right, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna speculate on another god here while while I'm in the god section, and I'm not too confident in this one, but I and I was having a tough time deciding which one I liked better of the two blue gods, but I think I like Alrun, God of the Cosmos, more. Um, I was deci- I was debating between this one and Cosimo, Cos- God of the Voyage. Those those are two of my favorite gods in the set, and I think two of the more powerful ones. But I really like what Elrin, God of the Cosmos, and its backside, Haka, Whispering Raven, does. So let's talk about the creature side first. One in a blue, two, three, flyer. When it deals combat damage to a player, you return it to its owner's hand, then scry two. And th- this is just a very modest defensive creature that will be a nice early blocker. It'll occasionally give you some selection in the early game. But what's really going on with this card is that it is essentially uh, a personal Howling Mind that you can set up and ensure you draw at least one card off of. The five and a god side is it gets plus one, plus one for each creature in your hand and each foretold card you want an exile. And to be in your up end step, choose a card type, then reveal the top two cards of your library. Put all cards of the chosen type in your hand and the rest in the bottom of your library in any order. And one thing I really appreciate about this card is the cheekiness of this card existing in a world with modal double-faced cards. You know, we can do things like be playing this card in a deck with Agadim's Awakening, Seagate Restoration, and then we're technically revealing a, you know, and we might call out something (laughs) like Sorcery, and now we're getting to pick that up at the same time as an, as an actual sorcery, even though we're picking up a land on the exchange. So there's some, there's some nice little ways that you can sort of finagle the types to be more kind to you in your deck. I, I really like split cards. And having, having this be a two-mana play or a five-mana play, both of which are fair, somewhat strong. Like, the five-mana play is very strong on the curve. The two-mana play is definitely below what you would expect from a two mana play constructed but it comes stapled to a good five mana play which means when you get the the hand which i have had much experience with of four lands and three expensive cards now you've got a card you can play on turn two it'll do something it'll buy you time and it can then turn into the five drop you you don't even have to choose between them because the raven can bounce back to your hand you get to go Raven, attack, scry two, bounce, replay, I'll run when you want to, or just chill on defense until you, until then. Plus, it works nicely with Doomscar, too. 
you know, you've got a you've got a Doomscar ready to go, and on the turn you're gonna pull the trigger, the Raven gets to come in and bounce back to its hand and become safe. So yeah, I really like Alrund. Uh, another great thing about these about the gods that have cheap about Alrend, the gods that have a cheap creature on their backside. What one thing that allows you to do is it allows you to um, play with reanimation effects a little bit more regularly because without having to play with awkward discard outlets, now we have a creature that is decently worth reanimating and just in our yard naturally. One of the awkward things about playing reanimator decks in standard so often has been is it has felt like you need to play with suboptimal looting style effects. You need sort of everything to come together perfectly for this card, for your reanimation to work. But in the case of Allrand, we have a nice, easy way to have more reliable access to a five-mana creature in your yard just by virtue of having a two-mana creature that your opponent, frankly, is going to be in the market to want to kill. A Haka Whisper Raven just sitting in play, uh, you know, I don't want to use the word foretell exactly because that's being used up all... But it's it spells it spells poorly for your opponent if they leave that sitting around because at some point you'll have a giant turn with it where you attack scry two set up the top of your deck perfectly then it bounces back to your hand you cast all rain and now you're just drawing the top two cards of your deck immediately in your end step. Yeah, there, there's a lot of potential here both in in the in the in the decks that can set up to where it draws lots of cards but even like you said when you just guaranteed get one card out of it that's already great. All right. Uh, do we? I think you get. I think you get. You're Let's up next, Luis. Back, back to me. Uh, so one of the one of the things that uh, that I, I think this is a, again a bit of a long shot, but that could have a pretty big impact is uh, waking the trolls. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I like this one. So this is a saga, and uh, it costs uh, four green red. Chapter one is destroy target land. Chapter two is put a target land from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. Note that this can take lands out of their graveyard. And then chapter three is choose an opponent. And if they control fewer lands than you, you make a 4-4 troll warrior with trample uh, equal to the difference. You make that many tokens. So if you have, you know, if you have five lands and they have two, you get three trolls, etc. And uh, we, we talked about this one last week, but I really got to say that I think waking the trolls really has... A good potential to just run rampant if people are trying to do too much mid-range nonsense. Not saying it's going to be good against like rogues or gruel, but I, I could see uh, playing against something like Monogreen or Esper Yorian. Like this is the kind of thing when you get when you get ahead of someone and you can start waking the trolls. I don't know. I I, I really am. I'm looking at ways to use this and trying to figure out ha- uh, how big of a how, how how much of a deck I can build around this. Seems like Solemn Simulacrum factors into a lot of the decks I want to make, which is not necessarily a great sign because Solemn Simulacrum is kind of an underpowered card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this is you uh, taking another shot at a high upside pick. I, I will say that I think there's a chance that this becomes a lot of what the format is about. Um, just the ability to sort of mess with your opponent and outvalue them but i'm 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 certainly going to try to beat you down with some of these cards with my rally the ranks white aggro deck before you get there all right well I, i've got another card which uh, i think goes goes the other direction and this this one i think actually has a lot of efficiency to it it's a tundra fumeral it's one red Ooh. red it's a snow sorcery and it deals four damage to a creature or planeswalker and it adds a colorless mana for each snow mana you spent to cast the spell. It also, until in a turn, you don't lose the mana as steps and phases end. So this card, if you pay, tap three snow lands to cast it, it kills a creature or a planeswalker. Four damage is enough to kill most things you want to kill and adds three colorless mana to your mana pool. It's effectively a zero mana removal spell. That that's not a bad That's not a bad raid, especially if you can reliably have things to spend this on. What I think you're going to want to do with this, since three colorless is hard to spend, is you're going to want to play it on turn four or turn five, and then follow it up with a four drop or five drop because you need some colored sources alongside the three colorless. This will give you. Yeah, this this is the snow card that I think I'm personally the most excited about because the the busted potential of it isn't just that like I'm getting a little bit more out of it. The busted potential with this one is it's just it's just literally free like. You essentially got to do everything else you would have wanted to have done this turn, and you just got to deal four and kill something. And one of the things that makes me really excited about it is the pairing of this with Faceless Haven. 
Yeah, that's the that's the snow land. It's a it taps for a colorless, or you can spend snow, snow, snow to make it a four three, and uh, it's a shapeshifter, so it it has all creature types and it has vigilance. Yeah, and the fact that the upside for Tundra Fumeral is it pays you out in literally three snow mana. Well, just the exact perfect amount of mana that you need to fire that up, and so oh, it's, you know, it's not actually a combo. It's three colorless. It doesn't add three snow. Well, oh, but, it's a snow sorcery. oh, but it's a snow sorcery. You're right. That's, that's no, that's a good point. That is a that is in fact a great combo. Yep. Um, so yeah, any any anytime you see in this set a, a card that's a snow instance, no creature. If it has the type snow and it makes mana, you're going to be getting uh, snow mana. Yeah, that I hadn't card. seen that. That's what we saw from Arkham's Astrolabe in modern and really every format that it showed up in. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 yeah, like imagine turn four Solemn Simulacrum, turn five Tundra Fumeral, their thing play Awaken the Trolls. Like that, that seems like a pretty, a pretty hard curve to beat, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Luis, I don't want to say that it scares me that you had this card on your list without knowing it would work well with Faceless Haven, but <laughs> <laughs> it's even better than I thought. <laughs> it's even better than you thought. <laughs> All right, uh, and then was that your second pick of the? Yeah. Okay, so I think I get the last one then. So I really got to make it count because right now there's probably a lot of people who are just listening to this who can't believe that we didn't pick a certain card. But, you know, one of the things when we were making this list that impressed me was that there's just so many of the of the rares and legendaries from this set look like they have potential to really break through in Constructed. And so I'm excited to see what shows up. I think for my last pick, I'm going to go with Glorious Protector. And that's sort of the restoration yeah. angel of the set. Two white white for a flash flying I'm gonna, I guess I'm taking yet another foretell card, but I'm really high on this mechanic. And it has foretell two and a white. And when Glorious Protector enters the battlefield, you may exile any number of non-angel creatures you control until Glorious Protector leaves the battlefield. So the upside of this card is that like Restoration Angel, we've got a four mana, three, four flyer. This one with foretell, we can, only, we can pay for just three. And the big difference is that instead of immediately returning the things to play, it'll keep them protected and tucked underneath the glorious protector. So this card could do a lot of different things for us. If we have, if we're playing against Doomscar, for instance, and we have a board full of creatures that we would love to survive a wrath, well, then we can put, tuck them all underneath glorious protector and bring them all back and immediately get all of their enter the battlefield abilities. I, it, it's not a straight, it doesn't, the card doesn't loop with Yorian exactly, but it does offer a ton of potential with Yorian in that, both of them can remove the other and then bring the other one back. And the fact that this is a flash card that can protect the Yorian, if they go for a removal spell on it, you can flash in the Glorious Protector. You now have a good sized body. And then if they ever kill it, you get to just bring back Yorian and blink all of the permanents that you want. There's really a lot to love about this card. Yeah, th- th- this card, it, it was very high on my list. I just went with the snow theme instead. I, I do think... <laughs> Glorious Protector is gonna gonna do some good work. There's gonna be a lot of ambushes happening in standard. You're 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 gonna you're gonna really think twice about attacking your opponent for two points of damage when they have enough mana to cast or foretell this, and that's gonna be rough to play against. You know, you're you're sitting there and you're like, well, I've got, you know, I've got my two drop. Should I chip in for two points of damage or do I run the risk of getting hit by a Glorious Protector? It's also. Uh, yeah, like you said, a pretty good combo in any sort of Yorian-style deck. It's good against Wraths. It's good with Wraths. It's also just a good rate flash threat if you're playing like a blue-white kind of deck, that flash deck that has counter spells and stuff like that. Glorious Protector seems like a, one of the cards that's going to make a real impact. Yeah, I mean, just even... I, I think the... there's a, I think we shouldn't just brush past the Flash 3-4 flying like you mentioned. Like, there's a lot of fancy no, things I, going on. I wasn't. I, I was making sure to mention it because it's just the proper evaluation. <laughs> there's the definitely card. a lot of fancy things, and we can, you can go pretty deep on this card with trying to sort of abuse it to enter the battlefield ability. But the fact is, is this card will just hard eat a rankle. It eats a brazen borrower. These are just really great things to be doing in standard. It'll eat um, shark typhoons that have a uh, not grown up to Jaws size. They're more in just the, you know, the deep blue sea size, that <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah, Glorious Protector is going to do a lot of protecting, but also a decent amount of attacking as well. <laughs> yeah, so excited to see what that one will do. So the one of the... I, do we do you have any other ones, Luis, that you were... That, that was just like painful that you couldn't make it onto your list? And uh, particularly any cards that don't mention snow? Yes, so there, there actually was uh, one that I, that I thought was pretty cool. Alrun's Epiphany, the Time Walk, 
seven mana, mm. take an extra turn, and make two one one flyers. Also foretell a four blue blue. This card looks like it's going to be pretty expensive and hard to and hard to really land, but. Pairing Time Walk with Make 2 1 1 Flyers is significantly more powerful than you might think because you immediately get to attack with those flyers and it stacks so nicely in multiples. Where if you have two of these and you go, I'll run Epiphany, make two flyers, take an extra turn, next turn, attack with both, play on second one, make two more flyers, take an extra turn. It can really snowball, especially if you have something like Alrund or a Planeswalker getting you consistent value every turn, or you just led with an end of turn. you glorious protector and and then played this card so this one i think is on my would be nice to see list but i do think it is a a powerful effect at the very least yeah i mean we've just had a lot of strong draw engines and standard ways of putting tons of lands into play you know genesis ultimatum um one card you know the great henge is a card that you could see combined with this anything that's just really good at making tons of mana and drawing lots of cards i mean it's kind of the fact that a time walk effect hasn't shown up in standard over the last couple of years with some of the nonsense that we've had going on has kind of been one of the secret blessings because we got a nice little break after Nexus of Fate because all of the cards that were just in standard would have just been so phenomenal with any sort of time walk effect. And now we'll see a lot of them have been banned slash rotated, but there's still some goodies left. I mean, you know, if Omnath ever gets unbanned, it's going to be pretty phenomenal with this card. Yeah, but but even like like you mentioned, just the fact that there's a lot of cards that provide value, turnover, turn, and ramp you. Th- this is a pretty good card. Like like imagine if you go Psalm Simulacrum into Waking the Trolls into Auron's Epiphany. Like now now you're really talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Psalm Simulacrum, the linchpin of the new standard. <laughs> well, that that that's a good that's a good spot to end it on. I do. I guess if I have to give one shout out to a card that 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 intrigues me, I don't think it's going to be like a major player. But of the, I'm curious to hear, Luis, of the 10 uncommon cycle of lands which enter the battlefield tapped and add a mana and then have an activation ability of two different colors and you sacrifice the land, which of them do you are you the most excited to see in standard? Uh, I think Port of Carfall is 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 uh, on the top of the list for me but there's a, there's a lot of them that are interesting so that's this is with the blue black one so it taps for a blue mana and then uh you can spend three blue black black and then tap and sack it to mill four and then return a creature from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped it is a blue, good card in like a blue black deck that has a decent amount of creatures and it operates at instant speed it's a little expensive but it's a really powerful effect so that that one looks looks intriguing to me yeah, uh, you know what? I, let me see if I like any of the other ones because honestly, my answer was also just Port of Carful. <laughs> I mean, I think the fact that this... I, I like the I like it because it's not really part of your base game plan. It's just, hey, if this game goes long and I flood out a little bit, you know what's going to be dope if I just can sack one of my lands and immediately get back my best creature. Yeah, get back and, with a Solemn Simulacrum or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I think the Angel has some amount of outs. The Angel Land, this is the Orzov one of the cycle. It's it's Great Hall of Starnime. It taps for a black and it has white, white, black tap. Sacrifice Great Hall of Starnime and a creature you control. Create a 4-4 white angel warrior creature token with flying and vigilance. I don't think this one will show up in big numbers, but the fact that this one just makes such a substantial game piece and can happen relatively early on um, means that this could be a solid top-end card for a lower curve deck in Orzov. The fact is that this land comes into play tapped and it does require you to sec the land and the angel. So this isn't something you're going to want to be doing a lot of. But I, I like the fact that I think that these lands will be sprinkled into a lot of different decks and maybe one or two copies. Because just in, in longer games, they can give you something where, you know, you just don't have access to it. Yeah, I I, I think that some th- these lands definitely have a lot of potential. And playing one or two in a lot of decks seems like it'll be a thing that happens. Uh, one cycle we just did ignore for the purposes of our draft list just before we get any complaints about it is we did just ignore the pathways. Um, obviously, we are getting the Azorius, uh, Rakdos, Golgari, and Simic pathways in this set. They're going to be fantastic. They're going to be staples of the format and some of the most played cards in the format. We, you know, If you've been playing Constructed Magic and especially Standard for the last couple of months, you're no stranger to the pathways and how great they are. And it's going to open up a lot of new deck building option. In particular, I would be re-examining gold cards and strategies from those color pairings from the last 
um, especially from Zendikar Rising, when they didn't have access to these lands, and a terrible mana base might have been what was holding those decks back. But yeah, no no surprise that these are going to show up a lot. We just didn't think it would be that interesting to say debate over whether we like the Rakdos land more than the Simic one. Yeah, well, one thing to, to mention, because you, as you did, is there are a bunch of cards in Standard that you have never seen played because the mana wasn't good enough, and you might not know that was the reason holding them back. So I, I, I do second your opinion that you should reevaluate gold cards because you might not know why a particular card didn't hit, but it could actually just be the mana. And having these lands is going to change that significantly. So that's that's going to do it for our little draft here of Call Time. The set has now been fully unveiled. It'll be coming to Arena next week um, for the sort of the early access event for streamers will be going on. I think it's, what is that usually? It's like Wednesday usually or Tuesday. Usually on a Wednesday, yeah. And then for the rest of us, we'll be getting access to it a little a day or two later. And so it uh, should be a fun set. You know, uh, Standard was in a pretty decent place the last time we left it, but certainly hoping for a bit of a shakeup. Uh, my big hope from this is that is that these these cards can really uh, sort of break the logjam that Eldraine has had on the format. It's been a kind of a popular topic of conversation is what if we just got rid of Eldraine a year early? But you know what? We'll see. It's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Eldraine has overstayed its welcome, but hopefully the Kaldheim breeds some some new blood into the format, and uh, well, well, we'll see how that ends up turning out. This uh, show, of course, is brought to you by ChannelFireball.com, and you know what? If you're not if you're not tired of hearing me talk about these cards, uh, all my set reviews are going up on Channel Fireball as we speak, and uh, those are available if you sign up for CFP Pro. If you go to ChannelFireball.com/pro, you can get more details, and there's a ton of benefits besides just the set reviews. Check it out and uh, sign up for it; you, you won't regret it. All right, BK, that'll do it uh, for us. We I'm at LSV on Twitter. You're at Abext, and we will see you next week. All right, Luis. Um... I kind of wanted to do to steal one of your sign-off notes, and I wanted to run back what you talked about today on limited resources, if you don't mind, because I just love that story so much, and I really enjoyed that Twitter thread as <laughs> well. well. well hope, we're, we're starting out 2021 by, by flipping the script, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you don't know uh, a, a friend of ours, and particularly Marshall's, uh, Woody, and I'm going to pull up his Twitter account so everyone can go and check this out. Um, he is, Luis, would you say you describe him as a metal detecting aficionado? Yeah, I think aficionado, enthusiast, you know, whatever you want to call him. And so he's been going on a project. He's been taking on these projects where when he finds, he'll help people track down objects that they lose with his metal detecting skills. Like if they lose a wedding ring and apparently that's the most common one. The, the story that the Twitter thread was from the other day, and Luis, if you if you don't mind, I'm having a little trouble finding his Twitter handle just from searching it. If you can look it up while it's I'm a, it's a, it's, it's Woodrodius. How do you spell that one for people at home? Uh, just, just like you would imagine, like you normally spell Woodrodius. <laughs> so W O O D R I O U S. No, no. Oh, well, I spelled that totally wrong. I should not try to spell. Are you gonna try again? I, 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 it's it's like you'd imagine you spell Woodrodius. W O O D R O D I U S. Wow, see, look exactly. It's exactly like you imagine you'd spell Woodrodius. <laughs> anyway, uh, the the story that you, you really got to check out it involves uh, Woody finding an old class ring restoring it, shining it up, and then using inscriptions and small little details on it to search for who the owner was. And I don't want to spoil the ending and everything, but let's, but let's just say he literally was looking up a yearbook from 1927 to figure out who was the potential owner of this class ring. And it's got a great ending. And so uh, well worth your time to go onto Twitter and check out that thread. It's just pinned to the top of his Twitter account right now. Um, But it's just, I just, you know, there's, we're, we're in a new year, 2021, and it's something that brought me a lot of joy when I read it the other day, and I wanted to make sure that not just the listeners to Limited Resources, though you should all listen to Limited Resources because it's it's sort of our, our parent podcast, but um, wanted to make sure the, the Constructed Resources got a chance to check out this great story too. 
you know, I, I gotta, I gotta say though, we, we, we've, we've talked a lot and kind of bemoaned what the, the state of organized play and kind of the, like where it's gone. You know, some of the big winners of the, of the, the changes to organized play over the last couple of years. People who's who've that lost, looks? people who've lost their wedding rings. Woody went from being a, a magic fan who played in PTQs all every weekend to a metal detector because they took away all his opportunities to play magic. So the the, the, the real winners here are the people who lost who lose their wedding rings in in, in various parts of Northern California. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's true. It's we're all we're all trying to figure out what we do with these weekends when we're not just uh, hanging out figuring out which mediocre. $10 sandwich you want to buy at a concession stand. (laughs) 